go with me over to the book of Revelation, the book of Revealing. So when people hear about the book of Revelation, all kinds of things come to mind. And some good, some bad, some people are fearful when they think of the book of Revelation, others um, think of controversy uh, because there's different schools of thought and understanding in it. And yet, if you read Revelations, it very clearly tells us that, you know, the wise read this book and know about it. So whether you think you have it all figured out or not, you should still be in that book and know what it says. And let the Lord be your teacher on it. I would caution you against reading after too many people on on Revelations, because there is a lot of wild stuff out there. And... Instead, just allow the Holy Spirit to be your teacher. Read it and let Him impress on you what He wants to impress on you about it. We're not going to read the whole book tonight. Um, I thought about it. But I thought the sermon would get too long. So um, we're going to read several chapters though. Starting in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what must quickly take place, he sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave John, who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ in all he saw. Blessed is, listen, blessed is the one who reads and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So there it is. Blessed are you if you read it. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So this is in modern day Turkey. And he writes the letters to the churches that we're going to read about. And the order of which they're written is the natural order that you would have arrived at these churches from John's location on the Isle of Patmos. You would have about 40, uh, 45. 40 to 50 miles southwest of where he was in that little island is the town of Ephesus. And so that was the first letter he he wrote. And then if you were going to go to the next place that he wrote the letter to, all of them were between 30 and 45 miles apart from there. And so they're just in the sequence that you would arrive at them as you went inland. And um, so John is out on the Isle of Patmos. He is a prisoner out there. And in verse 4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is coming. From the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. And made us kings and priests. To his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the families of the earth will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. The one who is and who, who is coming, the Almighty and who was. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, kingdom, and perseverance in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. 
I became in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergam, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a long robe with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes like a fiery flame. His feet like fine bronze fired in a furnace. And his voice sounded like cascading waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was shining like the sun in its power. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Call that slain in the spirit. Fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place after this. The secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, this word angels is the word messengers. And so sometimes it's translated messengers, sometimes it's translated angels. So it could be messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Seven lampstands, seven churches. Chapter 2. So to the angel or messengers of the church of Ephesus, write. So this is the letter that he's going to write to Ephesus. Now, it's very probable that Timothy is actually pastoring the church in Ephesus at this point. We know that he pastored after John, and as John was on the Isle of Patmos, it is likely, it doesn't tell us, so we can't say for certain, but it's likely that Timothy was pastoring this church at the time. So here's the letter. To the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, I know your works your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. Man, that's, that's high praise, isn't it? Endurance. Endurance. Um, it, you know, they've, they've experienced many things. In, um, when I was in Turkey not so long ago, you know, last year, previous year, I'm not sure which trip it was, um, I was down at the tomb that is known as John's tomb. It's in the building that, where his church house stood, and um, that's where they say that he is buried today, and it's in the town of Ephesus there. After he came off the Isle of Patmos, he came back and lived to uh, an old age in the city there. That's just the point of interest. So high praise has come to these people. Verse 5. Nope. Verse 4. But. 
I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. That's a problem, isn't it? How about us? Have we abandoned the love that we had at first? What was the love that we had at first? You know, rather than just doing a job, talking about serving each other, sweeping the floor, children's ministry, whatever it is, just doing it, we should do it in love, right? Because we love the Lord. Because we love each other. Because He laid down His life for us. Surely I can lay down my life for Him. Or for my brothers and sisters. So, they have abandoned their first love. The love they had at first. Now, here's the cure to that. There's three things the Lord lists in verse 5 that are the cure to abandoning your first love. Here we are. Remember. It's number one. Remember. Remember then how far you have fallen. So you've got to remember where you were and examine where you are now. You have to remember, where was I once? Man, I remember back when you know we first got Spirit-filled and it was nothing for us to have a prayer meeting all night long. We did that multiple times. It was amazing. Hmm, are we still doing that? To remember where we were at first. Remember how far you have fallen. Number two, repent. There we are. That means change your way of thinking. You have a change of heart that leads to a change of thought that leads to a change of action. So repent. And number three, do the works that you did at first. So remember, repent, do the work that you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Because that would be the fix to it. Unless you change. Not just unless you say sorry. Saying I'm sorry and continuing on is, is nothing but a slap in the face of the person that you apologize to. But repentance means you change what you were doing. And you don't do that anymore. So unless you repent. Verse 6. Yet you do have this. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen. Someone say, I have an ear. I'm listening. So anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Wow, that's special, right? Eat from the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. All right, verse 8, letter to Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, says, I know your works in tribulation and poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. You know, if you die a martyr, you get a better resurrection than someone that just lived a full life. I know people that want to die martyrs, and even missionaries. And so I had to have a real, real honest talk with them. 
said, all right, if you go off and get yourself killed, am I supposed to believe God for you to be resurrected, or do you want to stay dead and have your resurrection? I mean, have your, have your reward. I need to know what to do if that would happen, because you desire that. I suppose you're going to get it at some point. And so they said, well, here's the deal. Believe God for me to be resurrected. That doesn't nullify the fact that I was martyred. So I'll get the reward and get to live long life. I like how they think. All right, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. What are you willing to die for? What are we as a church in America today? What are we as Church of the Word International? Or if you're from another church here locally and you're here with us tonight, what are you willing to die for? What are you willing to absolutely not compromise on and say, even if it costs me my life, I'm not moving on this. Did any of you know the old, we used to say, I don't know if you just really classified as a hymn, but that's what I'll call it because it was in a hymn book, song book, that we sang in the Mennonite church that was called, I Shall Not Be Moved. Yeah, okay, so it wasn't just a Mennonite thing then. So, so we, we should do that song sometime soon, John. Um, I shall not be moved. And it talks about being anchored in Jehovah, and it talks about being like the, a tree that's planted beside water and is flourishing even in, in spite of all of it. So you and I, what are we willing to die for? We, only you can answer the question, and really it's in the moment when you face it. But the thing is, is you have to decide it before you get to that moment. Otherwise, in that moment, you may make a wrong decision. You know, if someone were to come and attack my family, I'll do everything I can to protect them and stop the attack all the way to spending my life in doing it. I've already made that decision. I've already crossed that bridge and burned it in my mind. I've thought of many scenarios of how I would handle it because of the security training that I've had. And so that's something that in that moment, if it were to happen, there's not going to be any hesitation on my part in what I'm going to be doing. Because I've already been there here. So where are you up here in the value of your life? Then he says this, he says, verse 11, anyone who has an ear should listen. Say, I have an ear. I am listening. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. That is good news. Verse 12, to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, to the one who has... No, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says, I know your works and where you live, where Satan's throne is. That's where they live. In fact, that, that um, area of Turkey is all of the uh, people that are there to spread the gospel. Uh, every last person that I've talked to about that region, they go, yeah, that region is really difficult. That region, there's like just a hardness there that isn't anywhere else in Turkey. I, I find it interesting that it's, it was this place. He says, where Satan's throne is, that's where they live. He said, I see that. And you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. 
You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the sons of Israel to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Therefore, repent. Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It's one thing to have the devil fight you. It's another thing to have God fight you. That's one you're not going to win. But the devil, you can win that one. His victory's already been established. 17, anyone who has an ear should listen. Say, I have an ear. I'm listening. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor some of the hidden manna to eat. Some of the good stuff. Some of the stuff that we have back, held back is hidden. The special stuff. Yeah, like a brisket. It's, it's the special one. The hidden manna to eat. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. No one knows except the Father, the one who gave it, and the one who receives it. Just a secret between the two of us. This is your special name. Verse 18, the letter to Thyatira. Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze, says, I know your works, your love, faith, service, and endurance. Your last works are greater than your first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent. So it's not a done deal. They didn't have to go that road. They didn't have to be thrown into all those things and be judged. The way to not be judged is judge yourself and repent and change. That unless they repent of their practices, verse 23, I will kill her children with the plague. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds. The literal translation is kidneys or heart, some translations will say. I am the one who examines minds minds and hearts I will give to each of you according to your works I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching who haven't known the deep things of Satan as they say I do not put any other burden on you but hold on to what you have until I come hold on to what you have don't let it slip keep at least the ground you have gained Everything that you have accomplished and pushed into, keep that ground. Hold on to it until I come. The victor and the one who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will shepherd them with an iron scepter and he will scatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I will also give him the morning star. Anyone who has an ear, someone say, I have the ears. I am listening. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The letter to Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, 
the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, says, I know your works. You have a reputation, or the word is name. You have a name for being alive, but you are dead. You have a name for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. So, they have a name for being alive, but yet, they're not. And in verse 2, it gives the antidote to that. It says, be alert. To be, be alert. Be aware. Don't be dulled down with worry and fear. Don't be dulled down with the cares of this world, with the entertainment of this world. I'm not saying that entertainment's wrong. I'm saying all these things can dull you down. Make you be on alert. Just be alert and strengthen what remains. You know, Jesus said that if you're faithful with what you with little, you'll be faithful with much. For the one who has little, more will be given. The one who has nothing, it will. Actually, maybe I said it wrong. But anyway, he takes away from the one who didn't grow, and the one who is growing, he he gives and expands to. So be alert, strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete. Before my God. Verse 3. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. So they are to remember. Keep it and repent. This is the fix out of it. This is the way out of it. But if you are not alert, I will come at you like a thief. And you will have no idea what hour I come against you. And if the Lord decides to sneak up on you, man, there's no security system in the world that's going to help you. Verse 4, but, if you have, but you have a few names, a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Anyone who has an ear, do you have an ear? Are you listening? Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The letter to Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close and closes and no one opens, says, I know your works because you have limited strength, have kept my word, have not denied my name. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one is able to close. Take note. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying, note this. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of endurance... I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. You know, whatever you have attained, you must hold on. I'm saying spiritually. You have to hold on. You can't just think, okay, I have arrived and... I can now relax. I have reached a level of spirituality that I want to be at. I mean, I assure you, you won't be there long if you have that attitude. 
I am coming, verse 11, I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The victor, I will make him a pillar in the sanctuary of my God. And he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Anyone who has an ear, say, I have an ear. I am listening. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, the cold and hot, many have thought that this meant that you know, the Lord would rather you be fully on fire for the Lord or just a straight up heathen. That is not at all what he's saying here. That is just, that's not what he's saying. What he is saying in this particular location, they had... Um, aqueducts that would come in from the mountains and bring water into these cities and in particular in Laodicea they had this and they had six miles out of town there was a hot spring that they had put pipe to and brought the water to the town so that they could have hot water and six miles the other direction out of town up in the mountains was a cold spring and that's where they brought this so together water is traveling 12 miles well six miles but six times two Um, to get to them and so what would happen on a real hot day the hot water would be hot but the cold water would just be lukewarm wouldn't be cold anymore and on a cold day the hot water wouldn't be hot anymore it'd just be lukewarm and of course the cold water would be real cold we know that there are many uses for cold water right refreshment keep things cold there's many uses for cold water There's many uses for hot water, right? A lot of uses for hot water. I mean, you like cold showers or hot showers, right? So we see that both hot and cold is useful to the Lord. Both hot and cold are useful to them in Laodicea. So it's not either righteous or unrighteous. That's not it. It's useful. I want you to be useful. Hot or cold doesn't matter. Just be useful. Because who wants a lukewarm anything? Right? He's like, I'm going to spit that out. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. You don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you, and if the Lord advises you, Should you pay attention? I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich and white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. So be earnest. Or, or be zealous, is how some translations say it. Because what are they having? They're having the lukewarm problem. They're neither hot, they're not cold, they're, not, they're just lukewarm. 
They're not zealous. They're not committed. It's like, I mean, a perfect description of pre-COVID much of the church in, in the United States, right? So be earnest. Be zealous. Be committed and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear, say, I have an ear. I am listening. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's where we'll stop in the book of Revelation. Those seven letters. You know, we could look at parts of it and apply parts of it to us, certainly. Right? And so, you have to look at that and go, okay, so here are the things he addresses. There was two churches that he didn't have a correction for them. But the others, he had things that he told them he liked, but he also had things that they needed to come up in. They needed to change. They needed to repent. And so, for you and I, where are we? What are we doing? How are we living? Are we in a place that we... Do we need to repent? Have we become convoluted with the ideas and thoughts of the world and culture around us? Have we become had a mixture of a love of the world in us? You know, a love for the world is enmity with God. Enemy with God. Makes you His enemy if you love the world. And in our society today, it's really, really easy to slide right into that of loving the world. So, examine yourself. Am I, am I set apart unto the Lord? Or do I have love of the world in me? Am I giving place in my heart to things that do not belong? If the Lord would write a letter to me, if the Lord would write a letter to Church of the Word International, what would He say? I mean, you can ask Him. But what would He say to us? What is the correction He would give to us? What is the instruction He would give to us? What would He commend us on? Where have we served well? Where have we walked in the love that He has given to us, right? If we can't take an honest look at this and judge ourselves, we have no place to grow from, right? So when you first got saved, when you first were filled with the Holy Spirit, when you had that new experience, I mean, remember that first love, where you were. What you were willing to do and lay down and change anything for you, Lord. You know, what in your life are you not willing to change? Because whether you should change it or not, I guarantee you, you need to be willing to. I've had the Lord ask me to be willing to do some things that He never asked me to do then. I got willing and the Lord said, that's what I wanted to know. I remember the first time I went into Liberia, Africa. The place was horrible. And it was right after the Civil War had ended. And there was just tragedy, loss, destruction on every side. It was not pretty. There was bullet holes in everything you looked at. And 
I was there, and my first week, I was so miserable. I was so miserable because I hated this place. And I was afraid that the Lord, this is like 2006, I was afraid that the Lord would ask me to move to Liberia, Africa. And so I'm miserable. Because see, I had bought into this lie that the Lord wants to send you somewhere you don't want to go. And if you fully surrender this area of your heart to the Lord, then He's going to ask you to move to Liberia. And it took me a week of being miserable until I got before the Lord and I said, Lord, you know what? I'll go wherever you tell me to go. And I'll like it. And when I did that, the Lord said, thank you. He said, I'm not planning on sending you there. But I want to know that you would go if I'd send you. And I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> Lord, how do you want us to... Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Didn't really get into the sermon, but that's okay because the Lord said what He wanted to say to us. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. Actually, let's start in 26. Brothers, consider your calling. So consider it. Family, consider your calling. You've got to think about it in order to consider it. I'll go, what is my calling? Well, we all are called to serve the Lord. We're called to share the gospel. We're called with the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen the world's foolish things to shame the wise. And God has chosen the world's weak things to shame the strong. God has chosen the world's insignificant and despised things, the things viewed as nothing, so He might bring to nothing the things that are viewed as something. There's a whole lot of things that have been viewed as something that have just been brought to nothing recently, haven't they? So that no one can boast in His presence, but from Him, from God, you are in Christ Jesus, who for us became wisdom from God, as well as righteousness or right standing before God. Sanctification, that means set-apartness. That you're sanctified, you're set apart for the Lord. And redemption. So all these things are from Jesus. Jesus was made wisdom for you. He was made righteousness for you. He was made sanctification for you. He was made redemption for you. So, in order that, as it is written, the one who boasts or glories must glory in the Lord. In the Lord. I'll invite the uh, worship team to come up and we will begin in just a moment. I want to give you an assignment and it's a simple one but it's going to take honesty on your part. Take some quiet time. Present yourself to the Lord. Tomorrow, since there's no church service, is an excellent time for you to do it. Set aside some time and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything... Like you wrote these letters in Revelations, what would you say to me? And give Him permission to say anything to you.
He'll encourage you. He'll tell you if there's things in your life you need to change. And you know, there is such safety when it comes from Him. Nobody's condemning you. The Father doesn't condemn you. Your neighbor's not the one delivering it to you saying, repent. But when the Lord says, you need to repent from this, that comes across into your spirit. So take the time. I urge you to take the time. Take some, set aside some time. It doesn't have to be hours. Just silence yourself. Sometimes it takes several minutes for you to get your brain to stop running away with things and to present yourself to the Lord and pray it that way. Pray and say, Father, what would you say to me? I'm here, I have ears, and I am listening. And allow Him to minister to you, allow Him to strengthen you, because that's what His Word does to you. It gives you endurance and strength like you can't find in any other way. And your relationship with Him will expand and grow. Alright, let's pray and then we're going to celebrate that all of this is possible, that we serve the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that every name is subject to the name of Jesus. Father, we thank You, Lord, that You have given us the Holy Spirit. Father, thank You that You gave us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, of Yourself. Thank You that You washed away our sin, paid the price of death and of hell, Father, I thank You that You have established victory for us. Father, I thank You that You desire to lead us. That You desire to guide us into all truth. And we give You permission, Father, to guide us as You see fit. We give You permission to speak to us and through us. And we just sanctify ourselves. We set ourselves apart for Your service. Let's say this. I'm going to tell you what we're going to say. And then then we can say it. This is what we're going to say. I set apart my... No, no, don't say it yet. I set apart my spirit to You, Lord. I set apart my soul, mind, will, and emotions to You, Lord. And I set apart my physical body to You, Lord. So if you can say that, that's all three realms of of your being. If you can say that, say that with me. Lord, I set apart my spirit to you. I set apart my soul, my mind, my will, and emotions to you, Lord. I set apart my physical body to you and to your service, Lord. Hallelujah. And the Lord gets excited about that. That's the kind of thing that causes them to shake buildings and come on people and boldness to rise up and miracles and gifts of the Spirit to come forth. Before we sing, I want to instruct you on one thing. In, In this house, in our times of worship, There is an expectation that I have of you. That you are open and listening to the Spirit of God, what He would say through you to the body or to an individual. Maybe it's after worship, you go find them and deliver to them what the Lord said. 
but that you stay open and available to the Father to use and minister through you and, and for the gifts of the Spirit that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 to flow in this body. And in our time of singing and worshiping to the Father, He might put something like that on you. You can come up here to the front. Let me know. I feel like the Lord has given me something. And at the appropriate time, we'll call on you and you can deliver it. And you know, in our home groups, we've been studying this exact thing and practicing it and waiting on the Lord and allowing Him to move in and through us and speak in our, in our home groups in that way. And so we want to have that established here in the church as well. I expect you as family to come and to, to be available to the Lord that way, to be bold enough to come up. And you know what? If you say something that's wrong, because we know the Word says that we see in part, we prophesy in part, we don't have the whole picture. And it's easy to filter through your flesh, but this is a safe place. Nobody's going to be condemned. If it's not correct or right, we'll bring the, the correction, the right angle to it. So what the Lord wanted to bring through you gets accomplished. Is, is that good? All right. Let's worship. Stand with me. So do you have an ear? Yeah. Are you listening? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear what was said? I'm so glad that I'm part of the ultimate crazy church of love. I'm telling you. <laughs> I receive that name. Amen. Let's go. Someone say, I'm being chased down. 
with goodness and mercy. It will overtake you. You can't go fast enough to get away from it. Hallelujah. Yeah, that's right. We have a time of fellowship planned afterwards. There's some finger foods. Everyone is invited. It's down on the lower level. You're also welcome to stand up here and visit. You don't have to rush out of the sanctuary. So one way that we love God in this house is by loving one another. So love on each other. Good evening, overcoming victorious saints of the Most High God. That's who you are. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo! It's good to be told that once in a while. Amen. Psalms 35. I love this verse. 27, 28. Let them shout for joy. Glory to God. got a lot to be we all have so much to be thankful for don't we and shout for joy and be glad see that's in your heart be glad in your heart and shout for joy that favor my righteous cause yay let them say continually let the lord be magnified which has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants now that pros prosperity means financial but it's everything inclusive in your life for the deliverance of my servants, for the relationships of my servants, for the healing of my servants. God takes great pleasure in your deliverance, great pleasure in your healing, great pleasure when you prosper. It, it brings him great pleasure. And in doing so, we can shout the shout of joy and thanksgiving and give him all the praise and glory. Amen. Well, let's stand up together as a family tonight. Oh, we have so much to be thankful for. Father, we do thank you and praise you. We give you all the glory and praise. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you're here tonight. We're celebrating you, asking you to move and do as you will among your people. Father, we thank you that our hearts are open and supple to receive everything you have for us tonight. We just look to you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo! <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International. Glory to God. Well, if... Well, we are going to continue our worship and prepare to return the tithe to the Lord. And we're just going to obey the Lord. Amen? We're going to um, act on the word. You know, we need to watch sometimes about spouting off things that we believe. You know, I believe this or I believe that. Watch about just words. Look for the action. You know, where am I acting on what I say I believe? You know, and if I say I believe that God is my source... If I say that I serve him and I worship him, where's my action that lines up on that? And you know, one of the primary ways that we act on the word is with our mouth, with declaring it, with saying it. But when we're given an instruction, now it's not good enough just to say. Now we, we say and we obey, you know. So we've been given instruction 
to return the tithe. We know Malachi says that the tithe belongs to the Lord. And we know that Jesus, when he had opportunity to speak on this, he said we ought to tithe. So, not, but not only that, I wanted to bring this out. And I want, if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can go to 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. That offerings are a part of worship. Offerings are a part of our worship. It, and if, if you read Romans 12, chapter, or verse 1, says, you know, that we are offering our bodies a living sacrifice, a living offering, um, which is our reasonable service, or that word actually means worship. So, um, in Second Chronicles, chapter 29, I just want to, because this brings out such a beautiful demonstration of worship and offerings. Because it really is the outward demonstration of an inward belief. It's demonstrating trust. It's demonstrating faith. It's demonstrating, it's an, it's an action of worship, and I'm, I'm, I'm serving you, Lord. So in verse 26, so let me give a little bit of a back story here. So Hezekiah, he's beginning to reign when he's 25 years old, and the people have walked away from the Lord, and he has it in his heart to restore righteousness. It says in verse 10, says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord. So he has it in his heart to just restore righteousness, right standing. So he goes about this process of cleansing the temple and um, restoring order and consecration. And so they, get, they go through some things. And I wanted to start in verse 26. says, The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord began also. And the trumpets, accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said, You now have consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. See, it reveals what's in your heart. It just has a cleansing, purifying uh, revealer. And it says in verse 32, The number of the burnt offerings that the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. Now, this is representing money, okay? Back then, maybe they didn't have dollar bills or debit cards, credit cards. They had resources. They had animals. This is their income. But the priests were too few and could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers and the Levites helped them until the work was finished. For the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. 
Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offerings, and there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had prepared for the people, for the thing had come about suddenly. Hallelujah. So I just want to encourage you that we begin to look at offerings as an extension of your worship. And as you surrender yourself to the Lord and that everything that is yours is surrendered, your heart, your, your things, your, your finances, your plans, it's surrendered. And he has full access. All right, let's just take a hold of our tithe and pray over it. Father, we just love you tonight. And we present the tithe, we present the offering to you. We want to worship you with everything in us, Lord. We want to worship you with a pure heart with a true heart. And so we just surrender our lives to you. We surrender our stuff to you, our heart, our plans, our desires. It's, just, it's yours, Lord. We just give you free reign to come in and do what you would have us do. And we're just grateful that you have good thoughts towards us, that you have good plans for us, and that you have promised us many things. And Lord, I just thank you that you Open the windows of heaven for the tither tonight. Because you promised. Because you said that you would, and that's how you, that's how you operate. So we just thank you for your promise and your word. In the name of Jesus, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. Well, hallelujah. hallelujah. It's good to be here with you. Psalms 35 says, let them shout for joy. You know, we all took off and were shouting when, when Karen said that in the beginning, if you were here right there at the beginning. Um, but notice it doesn't say shout because you're so full of joy. It says shout for joy. You know, when you go to your workplace, you, you work for wages. They don't pay you the wage and then you go, oh, wow, they paid me. I better go work for them. <laughs> right? Instead, you go work for the wage. Shout for joy. So if you need joy, if you've been low on joy, I dare you, I double dog dare you to try it. Shout for joy and allow the Spirit of God to come in and on you. You know, victory shouts. Faith shouts. And so you and I must be like that too. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause, yea, let them say continually. Hmm, I wonder what he's going to say we should constantly be saying. Let the Lord be magnified. That means make Him appear bigger. Alright, draw attention to Him. Focus on Him. And then it says this, who has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Shout to the Lord for joy. And then we're supposed to constantly be saying, and part of that shout is, Lord, be magnified because He delights in my prosperity. He delights in Kevin's prosperity. He delights in Castor's prosperity, right? Hallelujah. Sometimes you just have to shout. Sometimes you just have to jump for joy. Not because, you have, not because you feel joy, but because you desire joy. 
I'll remind you too that we have prayer here at the building Saturday evening at 5 p.m. before the service. Our service begins at 6, but uh, we have a time of prayer. And I want to specifically mention it is not just a pre-service prayer. It is a time of prayer, okay? And will the service be covered by the people down there praying? Well, of course it will, because we tend to pray for what's right in front of us. But yet, it's not a pre-service prayer. It is just a time of praying to the Lord and communing with Him. And whatever He's putting on your heart to pray, hey, you pray that out and, um, and be a people of prayer. It's so awesome to see so many down there. And if we get too many people in there, that'll be a great problem because we'll just move out into the main area and just take over the whole place with prayer. All right, I want to cover uh, two more things before, maybe, maybe several more, I don't know, uh, while, uh, before we get into the sermon. So I want to cover another question that had come in, and this one comes from Corinne. And it's a, a very legitimate question. It's a question that we ought to ask, and it is a question that also has an answer. And I wanted to, uh, last week, is Henry in here? Okay, so last week I answered a question for, for Henry, and then I failed at the end of the question to ask him if I'd answered his question. So uh, later in the week, I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, was his question answered? I, I mean, I think it was, but I didn't ask him, right? So that's what this time is for, is that we can have a, uh, have, provide biblical answers to our everyday life questions. So this question is this. Is it biblical... For the person who speaks a word in tongues, corporately, in other words, to the body, to the people, understand that there are several different kinds of tongues. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you will find in the first five verses um, two kinds specifically that are listed. There is a tongue that's unto God, that is a mystery unto the Lord, that does not require an interpretation, that tongue is not to man, it is to God. And if you hear someone praying in tongues and you go, well, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to translate that. No, 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 no. They're not talking to you. They're talking to God. It's none of your business what they're saying. Go mind your own business, right? But if they come up to you and go, and you go, what was that? See, that requires interpretation, right? So the question is, because one tongue is two people, another tongue is to God. In fact... As I'm setting that stage, I'm going to read the scripture to you because I want you to not just take my word for it. 1 Corinthians 14. How many love truth in this house? In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual things. And above all, that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to men. This is talking about your prayer language. But to God. So it's not to man, it's to God. Since no one understands him. So nobody. It's not some foreign language. No one understands him. No man understands it. So this is, it it says, no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. Mysteries in the Spirit. In fact, if you look on down in verse 
14, he says, if I pray in another tongue, pray, notice he says pray, if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is going, what? It's unfruitful. It's like, hmm, that doesn't make sense. Because it's not praying in your spoken language, it's praying in an unknown tongue. So back up to where we were in verse I'll read it again. The person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to men but to God since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. That's praying in the Spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people. And this is what prophecy will always do. It's for edification, for encouragement, and consolation. That's what the simple gift of prophecy does. Encourages, edifies, and consolation. Verse 4, the person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up. In other words, when you're speaking to God, you build yourself up. But he who prophesies builds up the church because it's to others. Verse 5, I want all of you to speak in other tongues. But even more, that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So, Tongues to people with interpretation is equal to prophecy, right? So now, in verse 6, he changes from talking about prayer language to the Lord. It's to God, not to man. In verse 6, he changes and he says, But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other tongues. So this is different than speaking to God. Now I'm speaking to you in other tongues. He says, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching or unless it's translated? Unless it's translated. So one of the things to notice, um, I'm, getting, I'm still getting to the question. Don't think I've forgotten. Um, one of the things I've noticed is that in Scripture it never calls it translation. It's interpretation. Not translation. So a translation is going to be exactly, you know, it had ten syllables in tongues. We should have about ten syllables in English. But sometimes you've heard a tongue that's real long and the, trans the uh, interpretation is real short. Or the tongue is real short and the interpretation is real long. And that's simply with the Lord. When you speak mysteries in the Spirit, you can say a whole lot by barely saying anything. I'm saying some physical sounds. Not, not many physical sounds can mean a lot. So as you explain what it meant, interpretation, I'm interpreting what it meant. See, you don't have... have has anyone ever heard of um, interpretive dance? Alright, so you hear a music and I'm going, I'm not going to, but, <laughs> but people dance trying to convey what they feel or what the music means. Okay, that's the interpretive dance. Notice it's never called translative dance. Yeah, so you see the difference? Okay, so it's always in the word, it's always called interpretation, not translation. So now, to the question. Is it biblical for the person who speaks a word in tongues corporately to the people to also be the one to speak the interpretation? So we've seen it done where someone gives a tongue and someone else gives the interpretation. And in fact, the very first time that I ever experienced uh, tongues to people 
why I sat, I was about in the second or third row, I believe, and someone came up to the front and stood here at the front, not in this building, and, um, but stood near the front of the pulpit, and, and the speaker recognized them, gave them the mic, and they gave out a tongue. And, um, and then he went and sat down. And so the pastor says, well, you know, we'll wait on the Lord for the interpretation. And immediately, I have the first sentence of, of I said, in, yeah, first sentence of the interpretation. And, but I don't have the rest of it. And he gave a lot more tongue than one sentence, right? So I don't know the whole translation interpretation thing. I don't know that, man, if I'll just take a step in faith and open my mouth and give what I've gotten, the Lord will give me more, right? Open your mouth and I will fill it. And so I'm waiting for the rest of it. I'm like, I ain't getting up until you give me all of it, Lord. And so we keep sitting there and waiting for this person to give the interpretation. And finally, someone in the back lady gets up and gives out the whole interpretation. Her first sentence was the exact sentence I had. Right? So if I would have just yielded and, and started with what he had given me, I'm certain the rest of it would have flowed. If it wouldn't have, someone else could have finished it, right? Alright, so is it biblical? So that's one way. One person gives the tongue, another person gives the interpretation, and that's beautiful because two people accomplish the same thing that simple prophecy does, but the Spirit of the Lord using two people. So the question, is it biblical for the person who gives the tongue to also give the interpretation? Go with me down to... Verse 13, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. So there's your, your scriptural answer. Yes, the person can also be the one to give the interpretation. The person who speaks in a tongue should pray. Say, Lord, give me the interpretation. And he wouldn't tell us to ask for the interpretation if it wouldn't be proper, right, for the person who gave the tongue to give the interpretation. Um, some of you have, have been here where you've witnessed Larry give a tongue and an interpretation. And, but you've also witnessed times where I've said, wait on the interpretation. Let's have somebody else give it. Let's give someone the opportunity for the Lord to move through them. And we've seen it work that way. And so both ways will glorify the Lord. Yeah. Glorify the Because that's what it's about. Builds, builds each other up and glorifies the Lord. Does that answer your question, Corinne? It does. Wonderful. So you can find these cards in the back on the lobby and write down um, any question that you would like to have presented and we'll do it in the format you just witnessed. Karen, I would like for you to come. And as many of you know, Karen had been very, very sick, and several weeks back she had COVID, and she was near death's door, right? They took her into the hospital and put her on a ventilator and the whole bit. And um, we have many promises in the Word that talk about protection, right? And that we're kept from the enemy, yet in 
in the moment, if, if we ever find ourselves in the trap, in the snare, caught by the enemy somehow, that's when we need deliverance, isn't it? We no longer need protection, we need rescue and deliverance. And we have more promises of deliverance than we do of protection in the Word. It doesn't mean that the protection is less powerful, it just means that the promises are there. The Lord also knew that there would be plenty of times where we need more than just the promise of protection. We need to be delivered. And if you've ever asked yourself the question, when you find yourself in a situation that you need rescued from, and you say, well, man, what went wrong? Where, where did I leave the door open? You know, there is a time for that question, but in the moment, while the wolf is in the house, is not the time to figure out which door is open. We run the wolf out, we believe the promise of protection, and after the wolf is gone, we go around and check the perimeter of the building. How did the wolf get in? And that's the time to go to the Lord and say, where did it happen from? How did it happen? Is there anything I could have done to prevent it to begin with? And not sit in condemnation or judgment. We've all gotten sick. We've all missed God. We've all done plenty to just straight up deserve death. Right? And so nobody points fingers at someone else and goes, well, something's wrong with you is why this is going on in your life. Although it's wise to ask that question if something's going on in your life after the deliverance. Right? So don't get caught up looking for open doors when you just need to take authority over the wolf and kick him out. So Karen's going to share her testimony with us. She called me the other day and she absolutely blessed me so much by sharing her testimony. I said, please, would you share that with everyone else? Of course, I'm out of my comfort zone. Here, you can use so, the pulpit if you would like. And I still got a little shaky. I have to build up my lung capacity and stuff. But um, Here, let's hold the mic up close to your mouth. Okay. So anyway, Is I Is it all right if I stand here with yeah, you? Yeah, that's okay. good. Okay. Um, I'm moral support. Yes, you are. <laughs> So anyway, first off, I just want to thank everybody for all the prayers. I know Pastor Sid said, Karen, even if it was only two people standing on the word and praying, it would have worked. And I know it would have, but how blessed am I to have this family? I mean, the message of family came so strong. And I thank everyone who supported my family. I mean, my girls and my husband knew who they could call. They knew, and people were calling them and encouraging them and praying with them. And, oh, it's just awesome. And it's just wonderful to know. And there was many times I felt like Moses when Aaron and her were holding up his hands because he was tired. And that's how I felt. I couldn't pray. I couldn't, well, half the time, I don't even know what was going on. A lot of stuff I do not even remember. They tell me stuff, and I'm like, oh. So anyway, <clears throat> I, I did uh, piece together when they shared with me, when they put me on the ventilator, Kate said they turned you upside down, flat on your stomach. And <clears throat> this is when I sort of thought, oh, maybe this was when this happened. But um, I was descending. And I was sort of descending like this. And it was very, very, very dark. I mean, the farther I went down, the darker it got. And it kept getting darker and darker. But I wasn't afraid. I didn't have anxiety. I just, I don't know. I think I, I didn't really feel peace. I just kept thinking it's so dark. And then I think I 
heard it in my mind. I don't think it came out loud. But I said, oh, okay, this must be the end of my young life. And I thought, I'm, this is the end? And all at once, all at once, I just, and I know this, I heard. And I heard it in my voice, and I heard it strong. And I said, no, I choose life. I choose life abundantly in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came that I may have life abundantly. And I'm choosing that life, and I choose life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just kept saying that. I don't know how many times I said it, and I said it loudly. I, lately, I was wondering, gee, I wonder if I was, nurses were hearing me. <laughs> but anyway, um, so then... It just kind of got quiet, and I must have knew the father was there because I said, you know, that I said, I knew, you know, God, I have son-in-laws I need to meet yet, and I have grandchildren I need to meet yet. And it was just like a calmness. And then I had something strange happen. I heard Pastor Sid's voice, and I was, it didn't really make any rhyme or reason, it had to do with one of his uh, messages he did several months ago. <clears throat> and he was just saying about, well, you lived for three minutes, now you can live for 15. And I'm thinking, you know, but it wasn't about what he was saying. It was about, he has a special voice. He has like a calmness, a firmness, an authority. And I think it was all about his tone and, and who he is, and yeah, so I just, that's what I came to the conclusion with that, that that was why he was speaking. Um, then I had another thing, and <clears throat> I don't have no clue when this happened. Don't know if it was a, a dream. I don't know if it was a vision. I sort of think a vision or a dream because it was so vivid. But I was standing, and I saw this cross. The cross was really big, and it was dark. And I was standing here, and I felt like the father was here, but it was his back going this way. And I literally saw Jesus crawl up on that cross, and he looked me right in the face, and I can't even begin to tell you the love and the compassion that was in his face. It was so powerful. And he crawled up on that cross for me, for you, so I would not have to be forsaken. God was there the whole time through it all, bringing me through. And it was just, I thought about when he crawled up on that cross, I thought about agape, agape love. And as I thought about it, you know, that's a very, very expensive love. It costs something. It costs something expensive. And he gave his life for us. And it was just so, I mean, that compassion he had in his eyes. And I thought about it in the Bible. How many times does it say he had compassion on the people? He weeped. I mean, how blessed are we? How blessed are we? to be children of God, to be part of his family. God is our, 
ultimate father. He's our example. He is our father. And we are a church. And the family came through so strong for me. I mean, the whole family, the family of God. So I do want to sort of end with this. Pastor Sidney said this to me when I talked to him that day, and I was like, whoa, he is so right. Of course he is. Um, but anyway, <laughs> Psalms 103. Oh, he's led by the Spirit. Amen. Psalms 103. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies you, who satisfies your desires with good things that, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I have written in here, there are six things that belong to us and we need to claim them all the time. Remember, they belong to us. And I just, I just thought that was so appropriate when yeah. Pastor said, brought that up and said about it after we talked. So that's my story. The only thing I also want to say, you probably guess I'm crazy, but I gave this church a nickname, the Ultimate Crazy Church of Love. Awesome. <laughs> because it is a church of love, and if you don't have the love, you're just a noisy gong, and we are not a noisy gong. Yes. It is a church of love. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. You know, as Karen told me her testimony, because that's what it is, it's a testimony of victory. There was a test, but there's no monies. There's victory. And so, as she was telling me how that she was, you know, going down into the pit, into a pit, like darkness, whatever, and um, I was thinking of these scriptures, you know, He forgives all our sin, He heals all our diseases, He redeems your life from the pit, because that's where, you know, she was going down. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. She talked about the compassion He had as He looked at her. He satisfies you with goodness and renews your youth like the eagle. Well, certainly her youth... I mean, doesn't she look good? For having been through all of that, the Lord is renewing her every day. She's becoming stronger. And um, so it's a testimony of God's faithfulness. And I don't know about all of that voice, tone, quality stuff that she talked about. I want to say this about it. I don't think it had anything so much to do with with the tone of, of... my voice, I think it's simply, you know, the Lord uses me to teach you because I'm your pastor. You hear me speak. You've learned that way. And what I've learned in my life is that the Lord will sometimes speak to me in a voice that sounds like teachers I listen to. You know, as I'm up against something, suddenly I'll hear one of the teachers that I've listened to say a phrase that they've said in their message, and it's my answer. And so... The Lord brings those things to remembrance, the Holy Spirit does. And, and what she was hearing me talk about was a story where I'd been uh, at death's door and I was choosing life and said I would live another couple minutes. And I kept insisting that I'm going to live five more minutes and ten more minutes. And so that's what she was hearing as she was at that moment of choosing life. See, 
my story, my testimony at the moment of her test bolstered her and the Lord used that. So the reason I wanted her to share with everyone what happened in her life was because when you find yourself in a situation that you need deliverance from, remember what the Lord has done for others. And if He would do it for them, He'll certainly do it for you. Allow this to build your faith for the Lord's goodness to be shown to you in the land of the living. All right, hallelujah.